You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a Friday edition of the Locked On Youth Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Talking about the release of the death chart on Thursday. Were there any real surprises? Maybe, maybe not. How much do we really need to wait the depth chart? We'll talk about all that. Also, we'll answer your questions as it is a mailbag episode. And lastly, we'll talk a little bit about a tough uh, road loss for Utah women's soccer. All that coming up on the Locked on Utes podcast coming up next. But before that, the NFL season is about to begin, and nobody covers it like the Locked On Podcast Network. August 30th through September 8th, Locked On's Ultimate Season Preview is taking you through every team and every division with the help of Odyssey's Ross Tucker and Jason Lockenfora. Follow the Ultimate Season Preview 2021 feed on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts to tune in beginning August 30th. This is the Locked on Utes podcast for Friday, August 27th, 2021. Happy, happy Friday, Utah fans. Welcome to your Friday episode of the Locked on Utes podcast. Here on the Locked On Podcast Network, finishing off the week, we are less than seven days away, less than a week away, I should say, from kickoff, and it feels so good, Uh, but we've hit that phase where I think there's a period of time between the first game and the end of fall camp where everybody is super amped up and excited, and there's just nothing to talk about. Thankfully, there will be some games this Saturday that will start to get us through, and then once Monday hits, we're, we're almost there, and Rice Eccles will definitely be rocking. I have no idea what the crowd is going to look like there. Uh, I'm very curious to see what that's like, but before we get too far deep into that set of weeds, I wanted to talk a little bit about the official release of the depth chart from the University of Utah. For the most part, I didn't see any surprises Uh, We'll start with the offensive side of the football. For those who guessed Charlie Brewer, Witt said you had a 50-50 shot at getting it right. I commend you for getting it right. Well done. Uh, It was not any surprise to see Brewer's Brewer's name there. But sometimes you have to play by the rules that Coach Whittingham sets because he is likely to become the greatest coach in program history, if not already. Uh... I don't know. That would be something to have to give some thought to to figure out what exactly the criteria is for greatest coach ever. Because Urban Meyer had a pretty good run, but so was Kyle Whittingham. So um, that'll we'll save that debate for maybe next week. I don't know. Or maybe down the road. Uh, maybe we'll even wait to see what happens this season and have that debate at the end of the season because I think that there's a really fun season brewing. And, and there are a lot of catchphrases being special, unique, uh, remind, reminding folks of 2019, all those words and, and, and kind of, I don't want to say superlatives, but it's the only word that can come to mind right now. Uh, all those being thrown around in, in relation to this team. And I think there's a lot of reason for that. I'm, I'm 
I'm showing a little bit more trepidation right now simply because I really haven't seen this team compete in a long, long time on a true college football field in a true college football environment. And there are still a lot of really young players on this team that have never played in front of a full college stadium. That's wild to think. For example, starting at right end, Van Fillinger has never played in a full Rice-Eccles stadium. Now he's played in Rice-Eccles stadium, just not one that we've been used to and, and conditioned to. That's also true technically for uh, right cornerback Clark Phillips. Travis Broaden's played there, but not an entire season, not as a starting cornerback. Stud linebacker Hayden Fury, well, he's played there. We've seen him a lot on special teams, and, and congratulations to Hayden Fury for being the starter at stud linebacker. Well, maybe we'll – I'm getting ahead of myself. So, you know what? We're here. We're going to do it. Let's go through the defense first. Left end, Mika Tafua. No surprise there. His backup is Xavier Carlton. Also, another player who has never played in front of an entirely full Rice-Eccles stadium. Left tackle, Viani Mawala, uh, backed up by Devin Kafusi. I would suspect that those two rotate quite frequently, uh, especially because I think Devin Kafusi is going to play in a lot of different packages and perhaps in a lot of different situations. We'll see what happens with that. Right tackle, Huati Pututau. No surprise again, backed up by Tennessee Pututau. Uh, I can't remember if it's Tennessee or Taniella that's the cousin. I think it's Tennessee that's the cousin. Uh, Taniella is a tight end. Mentioned Van Fillinger, his backup being Mickey Sungataranga. That's easy for Mickey to say, not so much for me. And Sungataranga is a guy that we've heard his name thrown around a lot. He's had some injury issues in the past at the University of Utah, but finally healthy. And I do believe that he could be a really big impact guy there. Rover linebacker, no surprise. Nephi Sewell, his backup, Kareen Reed. That's a little bit surprising, I think, to most people. Reed is a walk-on from uh, Tim View High School, uh, but he played extremely well in the spring. He's a return missionary. He originally committed to Utah State, played a year there, I believe, out of high school in 2018, and then left on an LDS mission, came back, walked on at the University of Utah. Not altogether surprising. Now, I think some of this is it's important to denote what position it is that he's, he's backing up. It's at Rover. Rover linebackers are typically that smaller size, six foot, 228. Guys who can move quickly, guys who you can move around a lot, guys that have less responsibility in the run fits in terms of actually being a strength player. What I mean by strength player is a player that plays with leverage to the strength of the formation or the strength of the play. And usually what denotes strength is, is either uh, the type of formation that the offense is in or the positioning on the field. Uh, and there are a billion scenarios that, that could influence that, and it actually will adjust from week to week based on the game plan. So to give you a simple rule where you can recognize everything would be tough. However, an easy rule of thumb is that if there's one tight end in the game, usually strength goes to whatever side of the formation the tight end is on. However, this can all change based on, you know, for example, what if you go – uh, trips to the field, which is the wide side of the field, and tied into the boundary. Maybe you're going to flop your run fit a little bit, so you may intertwine or you may shift your linebackers over. It, it's it's very much contingent upon those kinds of things. And and uh, I, to be honest, I'm not well versed enough in defense to know exactly where those guys go. And it's been it's been a while since I've watched some film. That's a true confession. So. 
Uh, Rovers are a little bit smaller, and and Kareen Reed is a very good athlete. And he, I think anybody who watched the spring game saw him flying around the way he moves. He is a perfect fit for that Rover linebacker. I think the big question as we continue down, Devin Lloyd being backed up by Josh Calvert. Hayden Fury being backed up by Trey Reynolds. Trey Reynolds, the freshman out of Arizona. No big surprise there. Now, that's the stud linebacker. You're not going to see a ton of 4-3, and I know that everybody is excited about the wealth at linebacker that the University of Utah has. I really just don't think that you're going to see a ton of 4-3 unless there are multiple tight ends on the field or heavy packages, things of that nature, because it's just so much more uh, logical to have a player like Malone Mattaelli out there, and Malone gets the nod as the starter at nickel had some had some inklings that that was going to be the case he'll be backed up by Aaron Lowe uh, the sophomore safety out of Texas a Morgan Scally special excited to see him get some reps free safety Vontae Davis backed up by Kamoi Latu strong safety Brandon McKinney the transfer from Washington backed up by Cole Bishop Coach Whittingham mentioned that Brandon McKinney, his experience had really shined through. I think it's a good move. I think you're going to see Cole Bishop a lot, though, especially in the second half. Uh, interesting that Zamaya Vaughn, now a full-time corner, backing up uh, Clark Phillips at the right corner, Fabian Marks. Uh, the late ad brother, I think older brother plays or played at Alabama as a wide receiver, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Fabian Marks takes over the backup spot at the left corner. Not a surprising development in my mind. I thought he played extremely well throughout the season last year. Had that big interception against Washington where he almost killed the cameraman. Uh, I say that jokingly, but he did hit the cameraman pretty hard as he ran out of bounds on his interception return. And luckily the cameraman is okay. He's okay, folks. So we can joke about those kinds of things. Uh, we'll go through special teams and then we'll finish on the offense. Kicker Jaden Redding backed up by Jordan Noyes. Uh, Punter is Cameron Peasley. He's the new punter from Australia. Do not judge him based on his dance moves. Mike Williams will be backing him up. Uh, kickoffs will be handled by Jordan Noyes. Uh, Jaden Redding backing him up. Noyes has the bigger leg, uh, also the bigger player at 5'10", 207. Peasley is 6'3", 190. So he's, he, he's, if he can bulk up like Mitch, we might have something fun to, uh, to look at there. Holder will be Mike Williams. Snapper Keegan Markgraf. Kickoff returner, uh, Britton Covey, backed up by Clark Phillips. Punt returner, also Britton Covey, backed up by Jalen Dixon. I'll be curious to see how much they actually return the ball uh, on kickoffs. If they end up having two players back or if they just do the one with Covey and and just have him play to whatever side he feels comfortable. If the ball comes that way, then he can return it. Otherwise, with the new rule where you can essentially fair catch it and start on the 25, I think it makes some sense to just have one player back there. Moving on to the offensive side of the football, we'll start at the very top of the offensive line. That's Bamadeli Olaseni or Jaron Kump at the left tackle position. And I think this was a move that was made because Kump is still injured. As far as I know, <clears throat> um, again, we haven't been able to see any practice, but I, I do believe that if Jaron Kump was fully healthy, then he would be the starter. I, I think he earned it last year. I think he was one of the best tackles on the team. His athleticism is off the charts. We heard the stories about him running with the DBs or whoever it was, and, and, and that's awesome. But really what I saw was just, you know, he's got massive arms, massive hands, and he really, really improved towards the end of the year. And I think his ability to, to uh, move his feet – and, and, and really gauge where he needs to go in relation to the pass protection, I thought was really strong. 
Bama Lasenny is just huge. He is 6'8", 330. I know he's the name that's on, on, on the tip of everybody's tongue. I'm going to caution a lot of people on Bam because he is still an older player coming from overseas who has never played a full season at the University of Utah. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in our Q&A session, but he's going to struggle. It's just the bottom line. You're going to have to learn to adjust to game speed. Yeah, the one time that he played for the University of Utah previously in a game, uh, you know, he's played in seven games, but started in one against Washington. It looked real rough. He's going to have a break-in phase, and I think you might see a little bit of that against Weber State. That being said, he's in better shape this year, and he's really made some good strides and some progress. So hopefully he can really grasp on and catch fire. But I'm going to say that you know the expectation for him should be mm, middle, middle expectations. So left guard, Braden Daniels, no surprise to me. Thought he was going to be the starter just because he's been so dynamite this year. He'll likely be a guy that could move around as well if somebody gets hurt. Keaton Bills backing him up. Center Nick Ford, no, no surprise there. Paul Miley uh, has shown out well, it, it seems to me, from what I've been able to see and gather. Uh, he was always kind of a little bit undersized, but it seems like he's bulked up a little bit this season. And he plays with a lot of fire and passion, and I really like that. A lot of energy. He's a very unique kid as well. Right guard, no surprise here. Satao Lomea, the honorable mention. Uh at guard, backed up by Johnny Maia. I, I, I've been curious to see how Johnny's been progressing. I haven't had a chance to talk to him as much um, and, and see how he's, how it's been going. You know, Had he not suffered an ankle injury, I think he might have been a starter at some point. And so good to see him and his name there on the two deep. Right tackle, Simi Moala, backed up by Falcon Kamatule. Uh, He's listed as 94, which makes me wonder if maybe he'll be like a tight end or you know part of some heavy packages and things like that down the road because he did play tight end in high school, and he is just an absolute stud athlete. So not a lot of surprise here on the depth chart. You know, I think that Utah had a pretty good idea of who they wanted at their five um, and, and guys that they felt comfortable with the backups there. What will remain to be seen is how many of these guys are healthy on Thursday versus Weber State and how much work they can get in together before that point in time and through the, throughout the rest of the season. Those kinds of things we really aren't privy to because they never talk about injuries. Tight ends, no surprise. Cole Fotheringham at the Y. What is a surprise there is uh, Dalton Kincaid being his backup. Um, Kincaid listed at 6'4", 242. If that's the case, that's a lot bigger than I remember him being. And so it does make sense that he is playing at the more what they call the move tight end. And the move tight end is that traditional end of the line of the scrimmage, um, more of a blocking style tight end. So I, the fact that Kincaid has worked its way up into that is, is very uh, appealing. I'm curious because I think Thomas Yasmin has also done some really good things as well. And so I'm curious to see how they use Yas. Um, if he's going to be more of the U tight end or, you know, the traditional call is the, is the H back, um, like Brant Keithy, uh, uh, Ali'i Numatololo's list is, is Brant's backup, but I'm curious to see how they use, uh, Thomas Yasmin in that role as well. I just, they're loaded a tight end. So it's going to be a challenge to try and get everybody on the field, but I think, it should be fascinating to see what they re what kind of production they can get out of it and what they do with the tight end position. We've heard Andy Ludwig say that the offense is going to look a little bit different this year. A tight end could be a big part about it. Getting to the running back position. Oh, boy, did Coach Witt pull a doozy on us with that one. The starter is Makai Bernard. 
or Tavian Thomas or TJ Pledger or Chris Curry. And so if you're me and you said all offseason that Makai Bernard would likely be the starter, you won, but also you lost because everybody else is also the starter as well. And so it'll be interesting to see who really is the starter and, and how they use that four-headed monster. I, I've mentioned before that you can do a lot with Tavion Thomas. You could run some two-back sets, and, and they have a variety of weapons and, and scenarios that they can use. Makai Bernard, Britt Covey, uh, TJ Pledger, Tavion Thomas, all those guys where there's some real athleticism and some ability to do some interesting things in terms of run option, read option, all that sort of stuff. Fullback Joe Ludwig, backed up by Ali'i Numatololo. I don't know how much we're really going to see the fullback, but hey, that's great for Joe that he won that game. Uh, and then wide receiver Theo Howard starts at the X, backed up by Devon Valey. At the Z, Solomon Enos, backed up by Money Parks. And at the R, Britton Covey, backed up by Jalen Dixon. R is typically the slot. The X wide receiver is is uh, typically the split end. The Z is typically known as the flanker. If I'm getting those mixed up, it's probably because you can really do that a lot with your X, your Z, and, and your R, what we used to call the Y. And so uh, I don't know that there's a big surprise with any of those. You're likely going to see those guys all rotating through. Theo Howard, Devon Vele, Solomon Enos, Money Parks, Britton Covey, and Jalen Dixon. And there are going to be some scenarios and some packages where you can put Jalen Dixon out as the X wide receiver or the Z, um, I should say, would probably be more fitting for him. Or you could do you know, some, some interesting stuff where maybe you put Yasman uh, at the Z and then you go double slots with Covey and, and Dixon, and you can really create some matchup nightmares. There's a lot of potential with, with versatility, and that's really where you want to be if you're the University of Utah. You want all these guys to be versatile and have a lot of different functions. No real surprises in my mind here. I think the one bit of feedback I've heard is people are surprised that no Ethan Calvert or Mason Tufanga listed on the depth chart. I would caution by that saying that, and I don't know this, I don't have any insider information, but just kind of generally, I would say that may be the case on the depth chart, but it doesn't always mean that that's how things are going to be when it comes to uh, packages, right? So it could be that Ethan and, and Josh Calvert are part of a package. It could be that Mason Tufunga has a role. Uh, really, there's a lot of options in regards to that as to how it already, like how it will all play out and, and everything like that. So uh, there's only so much that we can really gather from the depth chart because the depth chart is for us to debate and, and discuss. It's not really an indication of what they're doing week to week in terms of the game plan. So my thoughts on the depth chart, lock those up, call them good. We're going to finish things out by talking about our built bars. Because after a long segment like that, you're probably in need of some good nutrition. You need yourself some 18 grams of protein, but you need it in under 180 calories. You also need only four or five grams of sugar. You probably want it to taste good. You probably want a lower amount of net carbs as well. And you definitely, definitely, definitely want the most amazing flavors uh, for your buck. And that's where you're going to go for Build Bar. You can go to Build Bar today. Check out Built.com. They have all sorts of uh, new items popping up or uh, 
limited edition flavors all the time. You've heard me talk about the grasshopper cookie. It's really good. Um, definitely my favorite right now. There is raspberry cheesecake as I look at the website right now. You know my favorites. They are orange. They are mint brownie, double chocolate, cookies and cream, and of course the legend Cherry Barcia. Go to built.com right now. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Back at it here on the Locked on Utes podcast. Riding solo today, most of this week. I, I'm going to take the blame for that one because it's been very difficult for me to organize my schedule in time for Jake to be a part of things. Uh, I need to be better about that so that we can both be on here. And I actually gave Jake the night off on Thursday night when we normally record because he had a party to go to. So shout out to Mr. Hatch. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Always uh, well-deserved um, for that guy because I don't know many people on the planet that work as hard or as diligently, especially in this industry, as, as Jake Hatch. Let's get to it. I say nervously. We're going to start off with one of our favorites. At Cycling Ute 22, I heard that Utah's opponents either lose or do worse than usual in the week after playing Utah. Is this myth or rooted in fact? Hard to say completely that it's entirely rooted in fact. There is some evidence that John Wilner pointed out. I believe it was a few years ago that the week after Utah is traditionally very difficult for most teams. I think some of it comes with the fact that Utah is incredibly physical and large up front. And so that allows them to do a lot in terms of, uh, you know, really pulverizing teams. I love that word, pulverize, pancake, any, any powerful words with, that start with P. Um, so I think there is some factual indications to it, but if we're using like, the scientific method to break something like that down, like we also aren't really analyzing where teams are at in their schedule, how many players they have healthy, you know, what time the game was played at, what day the game was played at. There's a lot of factors that I'm always, always curious about. How much of a role does that play in it? Does it play more of a role that Utah's on the road when it happens or more of a role that Utah's at home when it happens? Do Does Utah play better or cause more uh disasters, I guess that's not the word I'm really working for because more, um, uh, pain when it's a, you know, a day game versus a night game, or is it the other way around? You know, there's a lot going on there. Does playing at altitude hurt some of these teams, make it harder to recover. So, uh, regardless, there's some indication that those teams do struggle the week after Utah. Um, and you know, I think it's only going to get worse for them, especially this season. Cause Utah is very good. All right, Furry Bundle, we're going to start with, with one of your multitude of questions. The first one, I'm surprised Tufanga and Ethan would be on the depth. I'm surprised Tufanga and Ethan aren't on the depth chart by this point, but it seems like walk-ons are flanking Josh at this point. Obviously, Reed and Furry are excellent players and teammates. However, should we be concerned about a drop-off in range of LBs from the ones? No, you shouldn't. It's a simple answer. Like, like I don't think that... Kareen Reed being ahead of the curve and understanding the defense because he was there in the spring is any indication of, of Ethan Calvert being better or worse as a football player. I also think that Kareen Reed is four years matured from, from high school, so he's got some more um, you know, physical maturity, some more mental maturity. I really do believe that that helps players a lot. Um, Mason Tufanga, I, some of it is just about finding a role. 
you know, and, and really understanding the defense. And this is a team that is so well built and so deep that you don't have to necessarily play those guys uh, immediately. You can give them some time to breathe. But you definitely want to get your guys who have experience out on the field to see how they function. So the depth chart may adjust a lot behind the scenes from week to week. We don't really get that kind of access like like we would want. So I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. Um, I believe Hayden Fury is now on scholarship. Uh, I haven't seen anything in regards to Kareen Reed, but it, it, I would – I would want, I would think that that the time is soon coming that if he's that far in the too deep. Now, one thing to differentiate, Hayden Fury is built to play the stud, stud backer, right? Like he is a much thicker, bigger dude. I don't think I really want Hayden playing the rover because that requires a special kind of athleticism and, and speed. I'd much rather have Hayden being a force player, meaning that he's setting the edge. He's taking on blockers at the line of scrimmage. He's attacking the tight ends and the tackles. I think that's where he's best. He's jamming things up on the edge, forcing the runs inside, forcing it back into the teeth of the defense. I don't want him sprinting sideline to sideline or going out in pass coverage too much. So that's another part of it as well, right? Like what player fits what position? You may have three or four guys who can play that Mac backer, that, that Mike, that middle linebacker. And obviously not all those guys can play Rover or Stud. So I think there's some of this where it's, yeah, maybe it's surprising and maybe we're going to read a lot into it and maybe we shouldn't, especially since I think there's going to be a lot of package stuff that Utah's going to do with guys where they can be more varied. And I think that I have no inside information on this, but I do think that you're going to be able to free up Devin Lloyd to make plays at the line of scrimmage and or from blitzing positions a lot more because of the depth and the variety that you have at the linebacker position. If early on you feel like you need to develop Josh Calvert so that he's ready, ready to go, and then bring your other younger guys along slowly, there's no reason why you can't do that. But also there's like eight or ten guys. I can't remember who it is that asked. Uh, somebody asked who the deepest position. Uh, Dallin Wright, what is our deepest position and what position can we least afford an injury this year? The deepest position, without a doubt, is the linebackers. So um, while I'm here, because I'm, I'm answering uh, Dallin's question, uh, at D underscore Wright 45, the position you can least afford an injury to this year is all of them. That's a very generic answer. But I think the, the obvious answer is offensive line. You never, never, never want to get injuries on the offensive line if you can avoid it. And especially with Whittingham mentioning that the guys have not been able to practice together as much as they'd like, that could be something that I would be pointing out and saying, okay, well, if they haven't been able to practice together, we want them to practice together as much as possible, so don't get injured. Uh, at Highlights Ute says, when is Highlights Ute going to be on the show? When you tell me, when are you ready, boss? Step up. Show me. Take that rep. Furabundo with another question. Uh, I know you've touched on Witt's quotes, his player motivation, but how do you reconcile his quotes regarding not having the starting five ready to go? And Nick Ford's quote that the O-line is much further along with learning harder concepts like reading the secondary. Uh, I don't think that it's, you know... The uniqueness of offensive line is that you can know the schemes and the formats and understand the blitz packages and where the secondary is aligned so that you can block better. That doesn't mean that you still have the same chemistry from play to play, right? Because you have to remember that nothing is linear when you're playing on the offensive line. So it's not an A to B to C. It's, well, if A goes this way, then then we go C, right? 
or if A does this, then we go to B. But if B does this, then we skip A all together and go, go straight to B and C. But if A and B do such, then we let them go and just go straight to C. That's just one play. That's just one assignment. And you've got 50-some-odd schemes or you know, 60, 70 different alignments. And, and, and so like, there is so, 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 so much to remember on the offensive line. Like I cannot – people ask me all the time, like, hey, t- teach me the offensive line. I, I can't. I played it for 20, you know, oh, 20 years, uh, for 15 years, you know, from the time I was eight. And and there was so much that I still don't know to this very day because I didn't ever get to the NFL and, and stuff like that and really deep, deep dive into some of these schemes and how they how they do things and, and the way that they refine their technique to the point to where some offensive linemen like throw their eyes in a certain direction and that'll throw off the defensive linemen. I can't even explain that because I don't even understand it. Like, I never even tried it. So because of that, I think that you've got to separate what Whittingham's saying. He's saying he wants those guys to get reps together so that they have cohesion and chemistry because he is an absolute maniac when it comes to the finer details. He wants it perfect. So when Nick Ford and Satao Lomea combo on a block, he wants it done perfectly every single time. Can you get by if it's done imperfectly? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you still be an effective good unit if it's done ineffectively? 100%. And part of what Utah has benefited from is they have had great running backs with great vision and great balance, and so they've been able to avoid some of the things that the defense has done in the past to make it difficult on the offensive lineman. So uh, being able to read the secondary doesn't really have anything to do with in-the-moment blocking. And, and and so there are so many levels to offensive line play that you really have to separate the two comments and understand what what, what Witt wants is he wants consistency day to day. And also I mentioned this, like you have to remember Whittingham's talking to the players, right? So if there's a guy who's been sitting out because he's a little sore and he could be playing, that's another thing to consider, right? And that has zero bearing on how well you understand your assignment. It just has to do with you needing to get out on the field and get reps. Uh, at Lurchido Ute asks, can we see a block cast in Jacob C. Hatch eating contest? Listen, I we, we can put it on, but you're all going to lose and no one's going to bet on the winner. I can tell you who that horse is going to be. It's Cameron Beck. At Staircase Wit will win. I promise it. Guaranteed. Also, shout out again to Jake for what he's done in the weight loss department. My man has dropped an insane amount of LBs. So go tell him congratulations on Twitter next time you see him. Uh, what do you think is a reasonable projection for projection for the XYZ receivers on catches, yards, without going all fanboy with all this preseason hype of offensive questions being allegedly addressed? That's a really tough thing to play, right? Because I can say, you know, like Solo Enos should get 7 to 10 catches a game. But where, like, you know, where are we taking away catches from? So, like, would I rather he gets the 10 catches and gets the numbers, but, like, the offense isn't as good because we're just throwing it to him all the time or, or Covey? I mean, I think Covey's going to be the guy at that, that our uh, position that's going to get the most catches, the most touches, but he might not be the most productive. I think it was Brian Thompson last year was, like, 20-some-odd yards per catch. But he only had three or four touches a game, you know, for for some games, uh, sometimes even less than that. So it's a tough thing to predict. 
especially when Utah only runs about 60 to 65 plays. Kyle Whittingham is extremely confident in Utah's ability to win as long as they can be under 75 plays on the defensive side of the football. And so if you're on the offensive side of the football, unless you're just uh, – you know, uh, grinding out these five-yard hitches and, and runs all the time and having these 18-play drives, which, look, Witt would love that. You know, he would love to win 21 nothing and only have three drives, but, you know, 60-some-odd plays. That's that's a dream scenario for him. Those aren't exactly as productive, though, so it's, it's hard to gauge exactly how many catches each guy needs. Um, I think that's one of those things that fans love to hear, like, oh, so 75% of our catches need to go here because then we can create the spreadsheet and we have this, this idea because really what we all want to do is we, want to, we all want to play coach, and myself included. Like, I love to play coach. I love to play GM. I love to strategize and talk about schemes. You know, that's what's fun about football. That's what's fun about being on the outside looking in. And so that's how we as fans identify with ways that we can do that. Um I don't think that coaches necessarily think in terms of like, okay, what's 25% for solo units this game, right? Um, they're thinking about, okay, where can we exploit the defense? Is, is it tight ends this week? Is it the seam? How many ways can we exploit the seam against this team? Are they good over the top? Are they shallow underneath? Where are the weaknesses, right? And then you strategize and fit your personnel to attack that. And then you find ways to attack it via uh, either coverage beaters, which are the type of plays that you're running. Four verts is one that's very infamous for being a a cover three coverage beater because you're running four routes vertically. Uh, You know, the old uh, uh, air raid version of that where it's you run crossing routes across the middle and deep routes on the outside and it just stresses the defense because you got guys going vertically and guys going horizontally uh you want to find ways to do that now utah's the bulk of their passing game is probably going to be built off of play action because again four starters at running back i don't know how you're going to get four running backs out on the field but hey they're going to try it maybe they just send them all out there with an or between their name and their number i don't know but whatever it is that's a tough thing for me to project and I don't look at it in terms of like fantasy numbers or things like that. Now, somebody out there probably has a much better opinion of how many catches each guy should have and how many numbers. All I know is that if Utah has a thousand yard receiver, that's a really good thing. And I think the most likely candidate to get to a thousand yards is Brand Keithy. But you don't have to take my word for it. In fact, if you wanted to, you could probably go to betonline.ag and throw down a little bit of cheddar on the fact that Brand Keithy will lead all receivers or pass catchers with uh, total yards from line of scrimmage. A, a sneaky, sneaky underdog, and that would be Jalen Dixon, I think. Maybe maybe even Britton Covey. Hard to say. But you know what? It's that time of year again. All eyes are now turning to football, and we can place these bets at betonline.ag because teams are getting back to the gridiron. Uh, it's the number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. You can get all the updated odds, props, contests. They will create their your own odds if you have something, and they're also... Rolling out two new games this year, including the half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest NFL Survivor Contest. Both of those are open now at betonline.ag. Head to the website. You can use your mobile device or your laptop to sign up today, and you'll receive a 100% welcome bonus when you enter in the promo code Locked On. That's all one word, Locked On. You can also take advantage of their opening day super promo if you make a bet on Thursday, September 9th, in the season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. 
you will get your wager refunded if you lose up to $25. Now, this is for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest, easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 21 season. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Before we head out here on a Friday, just wanted to uh, drop some Utah women's soccer news. The Utes, Lady Utes drop a heartbreaker to Denver, 3 to nothing, Out in Denver, first road trip of the season, uh, 3-0 the result, tough one for them. Had 11 shots on the contest and forced the Pioneers' defense to defend a lot as they controlled possession for 56% of the match. Uh, just not able to find the back of the net. Uh, Utah took five corner kicks in the game. Uh, Courtney Talbot led the Utes with three shots. But unfortunately, the Lady Pioneers were able to connect on three goals and take that one away from the Utes. One goal in the first half of play, two in the second. Not the best uh, result for the Lady Utes. They will be back in action on Sunday the 29th, taking on Northern Colorado at Ute Field. That one kicks off at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. August 29th at Sunday that should be available via the Utah live stream on TV so if you want to go watch that one highly recommend it I do love me some Lady Ute soccer for sure getting back to the rest of the questions that we have here on a mailbag edition of the Locked on Utes podcast Andrew McCullough at a McCullough 105 asks who is your favorite listener and why is it me I'll take my answer on air this one's going to be tough Andrew it's actually not you. And it's also at not at Roz in real life, though I do love and appreciate you both, consider you both good friends, and enjoy the Twitter interactions with you on a regular basis. My favorite listener is without a doubt my mom, who probably listens to the podcast more than just about anybody else. And if uh, I, you know, if I didn't recognize that, then I would be a terrible son. And I love my mother, and she's also probably the most supportive person on the planet. So have to shout out Mama Brown first and foremost. Uh, but really, uh, in second place is everybody. I love you all very, very much. Um, really, really enjoy uh, doing this, even though uh, right now we're right in the deep heart of, of having nothing to talk about. So I'm excited for a game to show up finally. Last one, what type of performance should we see out of Bam in order to get a decent shot in the NFL? Or do you think that he'll get a shot based on his upside alone? Um, and if so, where do you see his draft range? Um, I'm, I I just don't see, and maybe this is the pessimist in me understanding how hard it is to play the position. I don't see him getting drafted off of just one season of play. Now, I do understand that the hype train was in full steam coming out of the station. I struggle with that because I haven't been able to actually watch him in games. So I don't know if his pass protection really has improved or if he's just being a really good pack practice player. I need to see him against Weber State first to really get a strong evaluation. Right now, all I'm going off of is just what I've heard from people surrounding the program. And that's fine. But I like to get my own eyes on guys and really see what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, and then I can really project to where he might go. 
uh, assuming that he has a Garrett Bowles level season where he's just absolutely dominant physically, I don't know that he'll be a first round draft pick, but I could see him being a day two, day three guy. I think to compare him to Garrett Bowles is like comparing a McDonald's cheeseburger to Al Cheval in Chicago. I've never seen an offensive lineman with the kind of feet that Garrett Bowles has. Never. Not even not even my favorite offensive lineman currently in the game right now, Quentin Nelson, has those that kind of footwork. Garrett was so incredibly unique. Um, and his athleticism is just very, very rare. Now, what Bam Oliseni I could compare him to is uh, like a Makai Becton, you know, who plays for the Jets. But again, I need to see him get out. I haven't ever seen him run a screenplay. You know, I haven't ever seen him pull. I haven't seen a lot of this kind of stuff that is just very basic stuff that you have to use to evaluate an offensive lineman. I haven't seen his punch in over two years. I don't know how close he is on the inside of the numbers. I don't know how good he is with his first hand and if he's using his second hand to go on the hip and if he's trying to tip decks. I don't know what his strategy is when he's going into his offense and his or excuse me, going into his pass pro. He is an enormous human being. I don't know how well he's getting his hips into his drive blocking, right? So there's all those kinds of things where I really couldn't give you a fair evaluation of him and his draft prospects until I've actually seen him play uh, a full game, you know? And, And that's an even better part about it too. So I think if he has the kind of season that I'm expecting from him, he'll likely be undrafted because there are a lot of offensive linemen in the NFL that have come from the University of Utah, which is a phenomenal thing to say when you think about you know, who's kind of next up on the list in terms of coaches that are on the hot seat um, on the staff. I think, I, I've said it before, I think Jim Harding is a tremendous offensive line coach. You know, I think he could be better in the recruiting game without a doubt. Um, I just don't know how much better you know, because uh, it, it's just a really tough game when, when when there are only so many good recruits in the country and they're all going to the same spots over and over again. That being said, I think his, his ability to develop offensive linemen and, and coach is top-notch. I think he's a really good coach. That doesn't always mean that you need to stay with a guy, though, uh, and, and we'll have to wait for the season to play out to really decide that. Um, you know, but that being said, I think – Harding's reputation, I think Utah's reputation, you know, all that stuff will get him a camp invite for sure. Uh, His size, if he does play the entire season, that's the other part of it too. Like if Jaron Kump comes back, does does Bam slide over to the right? Does Kump come in on the right side? Like what happens there? You know, those are kinds of things that we really haven't had a chance to have conversations about yet uh, because we were waiting for them to settle this depth chart. And I think we'll find out a lot more after the Weber State game. And I am very much looking forward to that. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for your questions. Uh, Furabundo, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. Uh, I'm going to assume that I'm not because I, I don't recognize it. But thank you so much for your contributions. You said you blew up the mailbag. I think you blew it up in a good way, like meaning expanded it so that we could fill a lot more information into there. So great work from you. You'll get the Locked on Utes MVP. We'll be back again on Monday with more Utes talk. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy some week zero games if you can. And enjoy what's left of the uh, football summer, I guess. I, I don't know. I think summer's kind of over, right? I don't know. Wrong person to be saying that. But remember to follow us at Locked on Utes on Twitter. 
You send us an email, lockedonutes at gmail.com. You can follow me at SLC, and you can follow Jake at Jacob C. Hatch. Until Monday, thank you for following us on your favorite platform for rating us five stars only. This has been the Locked on Utes podcast for August 27th, 2021, and we'll talk to you again on Monday.